I, I butchered that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I can tell that he's <laughs> there's like that. Um, forget about it. For, Tom, cut that. Let no, me, no, no. Let me Tom, just start this that. section over. Tom, Tom keep that. Welcome to Pod 256, a now-so-weekly Bitcoin podcast focused on Bitcoin mining, energy, and proof-of-work. Hosted by me, Rod at BitKite on Twitter, and you can also find me on Noster. And my other co-host of Pod 256, just the one and only and greatest of all time, you know what to do, Tom, Econo Alchemist. Eco, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Anything new and exciting in your life going on? Uh, well, that yes. was a leading question, so I don't know if I want to lead you that far down the line there's, just yet. There's, there's always something new and exciting happening, but uh, let me. I'll just say it this way: I don't have anything to share at the moment. Okay. Well, it'll it'll be breaking on Pod TV Six. So if you want to like and subscribe in your favorite podcasting <laughs> app, you know that would be great. Um, and, uh, this week we got a special guest, um, which is going to be awesome. Uh, Rafa, also known as Alpha Zeta from Swan. Uh, is it just called Swan Mining or is it just Swan in general? Swan Mining. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have, first of all, thank you so much for joining. I have a million questions as like the pleb of pleb of pleb miners to see somebody come in and then does like a 4X goal of what Eco and I joke about of having one exahash worth of mining. And they just, somebody comes in and goes four and a half exahash over top of us. It's like, uh, the fuck happened over here? <laughs> so we're going to dig into all that. Rafa's uh, very kind with his time, uh, as well as the audience asked a number of amazing questions. Um, but Eco, before we get into that, should we go into the state of the network? Yeah, let me give a shout out to some hashers who've been supporting the show over the last week. Uh, at the moment, this is a 100% audience supported show. We do not have any sponsors. If you want to sh support the show with your hash rate, you can do so by picking any Lincoin mining URL, plugging that into your miner's configuration file, and then for the worker name, use pod 256. You can append the worker name with dot your alias and then we'll be able to give you a shout out on the show. Or if you just want to watch me struggle reading some <laughs> These rather comical names, uh, <laughs> then you can do that too. So this week we've got actually quite a, a few contributors. Uh, so I'm just going to go down the list here. We've got Blizz Abler, tried and true. He's always there for us. We have the 80085 Petahash Bit Axe. Or if you read the numbers as letters, boobs, petahash bid axe. <laughs> we've got, we've we've actually got quite a few bid axe supporters, so this is fun to see. Um, the other one is uh, slap my bid axe and tell me you love me. The best, the best. We've we've got uh, bid axe wannabe just an S seventeen pro. <laughs> <laughs> we've got hodlpins.com, oh. Uper and Son. If you know, you know. Oh, and, and Rod is reaching down to grab something here yes. off to the side, and... We don't have a um, video, but these uh, folks were very kind, even though I butchered their domain name when I tweeted it out at like 4 o'clock this morning. But um, 
hodlepins.com. Uh, very thankful for this pin. So thank you. Yep. And we've also got a hash rate coming in from an entity known as Hooters. <laughs> we have BitX is fun. We have BitX Swimming King, which I think might be Schnitzel's immersion BitX. I'm Ooh. not 100% sure. Uh, the one that he dropped in the fishbowl. Um, we've got we've got an entity who actually didn't put in anything after the worker name, so it's just like a blank space, but we're getting hash rate from a no-name contributor. Uh, we've got another one called Knockers. Uh, our our uh, hashers going, love boobs. Yeah, there's a lot of boobs theme going on here. Uh, and, all right, this one's getting a little risky. We've got midgets having sex next to your bit axe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we've got, uh, last but not least, 818 Reposado Tequila on Ice So Smooth Youper. Thank you all for pointing us hash rate over the last week. So, Eco, one clarification I'll make. And, uh, Tom, we probably want to just cut that little bit out. Uh, so we're not – no one's going to be able to sponsor the pod. So Eco and I have talked about, like, the podcast, and we love the hash rate contributors uh, and so on. This is going to be a 100% donation-supported uh, uh, project within the 256 Foundation. So – we're going to soon talk about like similar to the mempool.space uh, uh, donation page where there's different support levels. We're going to be um, talking about those. Um, so whether you're a company, an individual, or just a hasher that wants to contribute some hash, we're going to have some different levels. And kind of like our tagline or theme being money from all, influence from none um, is what we're, we're planning to do um, with this. Yeah, no, that's a good clarification, and I think words are important, so sponsors is the wrong word to be using. Yeah. But uh, I guess I was just used to saying that because— No, we got we got like a big dog here. That's why. We got Swan Mining with their 4.5 exahash <laughs> just laid out on the table. So, you know, I'm surprised you didn't wear your suit today, Eco. This is like a big fundraising uh, opportunity <laughs> for us, you know? Um, oh, Rod, I don't even own a suit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wait, you don't own one suit? No. One tie? I bought, okay, I bought a jacket. So my brother-in-law got married. It was a destination wedding, like in another country. Tangent. Big deal. Yeah, we're going on a little tangent here. And uh, I wanted to buy, a, like, something to wear nice to the wedding. So I went and, like, went to your local Goodwill. Suit. And you're like, hey, yeah, so I <laughs> want the finest of fine. I went down the alley, dumpster diving, found some great threads. <laughs> My neighbor always dapper, so I went into his dumpster. Oh, yeah. Anyways, um, no, I did buy a jacket. Not a whole suit, but I did buy a jacket, and it was, uh, dude, it was way, way too expensive. But they get you because when you go into these like tuxedo stores, they like or suit stores, whatever, they're like, <laughs> like they'll give go. you the most expensive jacket at first, and like, dude, you put this jacket on, and you're just like, oh man, I look so good, and it feels so good, and then you look at the price tag, and you're like, holy fuck, man, twenty five hundred dollars for Whoa, a jacket? Where are you no going? And then you put on like I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit, but okay. but then you put on like a cheaper jacket, and you're like, ah, it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> I don't feel as good, and and you're like, I want to feel confident, and I want to look good. So yeah, that's how they get you to spend all the money. Mm, interesting. Long story short, they got me. They yeah. got me for a lot of money. Dang, oh, man. 
I know. I think about all those times about all the stupid ass clothes I've bought. Not like I buy a lot of clothes. I literally wear the same thing over and over, but like five to 10 years ago, how much Bitcoin I would have had. Anywho, uh, hopefully that's the right button. It is. Um, all right. Should we go into the state of the network then? Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, and by the way, Rafa, uh, as we go through the state of the network stats and so on, if you have like something you want to share with the audience or share with us, feel free to jump in as well. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious about, I'm still stuck on the suits. Does, does Swan have a dress code? <laughs> does it look like? No. <laughs> I have my Satoshi, Satoshi shirt. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I used to. I owned a lot of suits when I worked at Wall Street. And, you know, I lost most of them. And I'm not looking to, <laughs> to buy them back. I tell you that. <laughs> awesome. I wonder, like, what's the history behind suits? You know, uh, like, how do they come about? And why was that was the the fashion staple i mean society used to be very civilized Mm. i don't know yeah but you did mention wall street so i do want to hear about your background but let's get into uh some network stats here real quick so today is february 21st 2024 we're currently at block height 831-444 and according to our friends at newhedge.io, Bitcoin difficulty is 81.7 trillion and set to decrease about 5% at the conclusion of Epoch. Oh, hang on. It must be 412, not 512. I think I put a typo in there. Mm. And um, this, okay, I thought this was interesting. I noticed that this difficulty adjustment might just land on February 29th possibly making it the only difficulty adjustment to land on a leap year day in Bitcoin's history. I went back through the difficulty adjustments to 2013, and I didn't see any that had landed on February 29th. So I think oh, cool, nice. I think this might be the first one. Um, let's see. Moving over to mempool.space. Hash rate is currently estimated to be 569 exahash on the 14-day moving average. Uh, mostly thanks to Swan adding so much hash rate to the network. Or helping a little bit. <laughs> so what what are you guys up to right now, Rafa? What's your the number? Yeah, so I'm sad to tell you that your four four exahash number is outdated. We're getting very close to six <laughs> right now. Oh shit. God damn. God damn. I see 586 on my screen right now on the live. So it is an all-time wow. high for us. Yeah. Awesome. Congratulations. Hey, buddy, uh, Eco's going to DM you some uh, uh, our, our Pod256 <laughs> alias. Just, some just, URLs so I can just, update the miners here. Yeah, just just type it in just naturally <laughs> while we're, we're talking. We're just three friends here, you know? Yeah, just I'm going messing through, around. You know, our foreman instances here start making some updates. Uh. <laughs> yeah. What, what, do you, uh, what do you think about foreman, by the way, using them? Oh, that, that is a huge tangent. We can. <laughs> okay, we'll get on that tangent yeah, we in a can bit. Go there. We'll, yeah, we'll go, we should go there because that's a, that's an important one. Yeah, because at that level of uh, hash, you know, having minor management software, I think feel like is mission critical, especially as you're looking yep. at your fleet and so on. But we'll build up to that uh, because there's a lot of building blocks that I want we want to ask yes. to get there. Um, but keep going, Ego. All right, so from insights.brains.com, hash value is currently 160 sats per terahash per day. Mm. I think that's down from about 180 last week. 
And then the having is due in 57 days, according to coinwars.com. Creeping up on you. Dude, less than two months until it's wrecked city for a lot of people. Maybe. Actually, maybe not. Maybe it's zombie city. You know, a bunch of zombie miners because the price is pumped. But we'll see. Um, Awesome, man. All right. Where should we even begin? I kind of like what you're saying, Eco, with this background in Wall Street and so on. So if you want to kind of tee that up, like I know nothing. Yeah, Rafa, if you could just give listeners a brief introduction as to, you know, who you are, what you're doing, and then talk about where do you come from and how do you get into Bitcoin and how do you get to where you are now? Yeah. Uh, I'll say I'm probably uh, one of the few bankers that knows how to code, which probably makes me a bad banker and a very bad coder <laughs> developer. Uh, but that that definitely gave me some uh, some advantages along my career. Um, you know, was born and raised in Brazil. Uh, started coding and loving computers from a very early age. Like at seven, I you know my mother tells me these stories of taking me to the supermarket. I don't come from a very rich family, but uh, I would buy magazines, you know, computer magazines, and I would code on paper. <laughs> and oh, she wow. tells me these stories about, you know, writing like basic uh, uh, code in, uh, on paper. And then eventually I got a TRX-80 uh, equivalent, like a knockoff version in, in Brazil and uh, started coding on it. Always loved coding. Um you know, had ran a BBS. I was uh, the the system operator at Sysop for a BBS in Brazil in the nineties, uh, which was fairly well known. Probably one of the first gateways to to the internet in Brazil back then. Uh, loved blue beating, uh, phone freaking, all of those things to access like BBSs around the world. Uh, so so again, has always loved technology. And then curiously, when I went to um, to university. You know, living in Brazil and having grown in very high inflation and seeing, you know, money getting debased uh, like at crazy rates. Like when I talk about inflation, it's not uh, like money would literally lose value overnight. My mother would give me, you know, cash and say, OK, don't bring the cash back. Bring, buy something because the cash is worthless in a week mm. time. So wow. uh, because of that, I think I got I always got very attracted to, to economics. And when I got I got into university to do computer engineering took a couple of economic classes and decided right away to switch into, into, into economics. Um, then switched to universities in Brazil. This is an a interesting story. Uh, to a university that was just starting here and uh, it's called the Brazilian uh, Institute for Capital Markets. And the guy that started the university was a big Austrian school uh, oh, nice. stu- student in Brazil. Uh, so he, we had all the classes. We had like macroeconomics. We had Austrian school economics and Keynesian economics. We had the two, like macro one, we had both, right? Macro two, we had both, which was awesome. Like no other school. I don't, I don't think up to this date, I haven't seen a university that did that. Uh, but that I think prepped me very well to, you know, to accept Bitcoin when it, when it came through, and to always see the problems, you know, with central banks and everything else. So um, after I graduated, I worked for a hedge fund in Brazil for a little bit, trading internet stocks at the, you know, and the internet boom was just starting. Um, then in 2001, I decided to, you know, I wanted to get some international experience. Applied for an MBA, uh, went to Yale in 2001, graduated 2003. Uh, then I was thinking, oh, I'm going to spend a couple of years. I went with my wife to the U.S. And we're like, hey, let's just spend a couple of years here. 
in a couple of years became 16 years. Both my kids were born in the U.S. Uh, in uh, you know worked at different jobs at Wall Street, mostly on the trading, structuring, uh, covering high net worth family offices side. Worked at Merrill, Deutsche, Goldman, did different things. Then 2016 moved back to Brazil. Started two companies at the time: an investment banking company and a lending fintech. Um, lending fin- I thought in the beginning that investment banking company was going to take off and the fintech was just going to be like a side hobby. It uh, was just the opposite. The side hobby <laughs> took off and uh, became one of the largest unsecured lenders in Brazil. Exited that 2019. Yeah, I'm going to say. Uh, no, it's got 2019, 2021. Uh, and uh, being since I've been, you know, uh, very involved with technology, I've been kind of like, almost having this double life for a long time where I was, you know, an anon on Twitter. Uh, the Alpha Zeta profile has been on Twitter for a while, helping contributing to open source code, just like a hobby and most things, you know, uh, knew the Spectre guys before they, they, they came to Swan, even before I came to Swan, like helping, I helped them write their first API, like did a bunch of different things, had, had my own open source uh project that uh, uh, for running portfolios on Bitcoin. Again, did a bunch of things, but uh, was very interested in getting closer to something that, you know, where it could help more in Bitcoin. So being very close to, to Corey for a while on Twitter, you know, he followed me, I followed him. Like we were very <laughs> looking eye to eye on a lot of the, the scams out there. To, you know, I was a, one of the big critics uh, about BlockFi and these guys when they come came up, right? Um, so I started to think what I was going to do next and how I could help the Bitcoin ecosystem a little bit better, right? And I saw what Swan was doing and the, the educational part of everything that they were doing. Um, Corey posted something, you know, on Twitter one day. Saying, yeah, we're looking for somebody that has some Wall Street experience, can help us with this, that. And I, you know, sent him a DM. Like, literally, I told him, like, Corey, I'll help Swan for free. I just want you guys to succeed, you know. Let's hop on a call and... Uh, I don't know, 24, 48 hours later, you know, we pretty much agreed that it made sense to, to join the company. And uh, and then I, you know, I'll stop here, then I can move into the, the Swan part, which is super, super exciting. But this is a brief background of, yeah. uh, of my life. Damn. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you were perfectly pri- primed for Bitcoin with your background, coding and finance and, and Austrian economics and and living in Brazil and yeah. having seen, you know, money get debased time and time again. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the big one. Yeah. Totally. So then then how did you see this opportunity with on the mining front come about? Yeah. So we'll get there. So uh, when I joined Swan, it's fine. Swan is a very small organization. Still is. Now we grew since I joined, but uh, I joined a little bit longer than a year ago. And uh at the beginning, I really didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> and I don't think Corey knew also. Like, hey, let's just, you know, uh, get here and we'll decide. I came in with the title that I still have now of CIO. Uh, and I actually think that describes really well what I do because at the end of the day, a lot of what we do is capital allocation. is looking to allocate capital for us, for our clients, for investors, right? And as we started to look last year around what we were going to do at Swan, right? 
in Swan historically had one product, which was selling Bitcoin, right? Clients could only buy Bitcoin, by the way. We didn't even have a sell button, right? So <laughs> different than other exchanges, you know, that that restricts a lot of the, the trading activity. But it's a feature, not a bug. That's uh, something we, we want to promote people to, to stack their, their sets and don't sell it. Um, so we were figuring out and trying to look throughout the last year around, you know, other areas where we should be going into. And mining kind of happened very naturally because it's one area that we all were always very interested in, you know, just for the basic reasons that it secures the network, it supports, you know, uh, uh, Quarry was on the board of Riot for a while, Yun was on the board there as well. So we've always been very active in conversations with people in mining. So again, it was always an area that was in our mind. Uh, but then last year, Around uh, June, we started analyzing a potential investment opportunity in a mining company. So, as a mining company came to us for some people that we knew, uh, and they were looking small company, but they were looking to raise capital. Um, we jumped into it. We started looking, and then a couple of things really caught our attention as we started to do due diligence in in the company and research in the sector, right? Because uh, when you start to invest, that's when really when you start to, to analyze things in, in details. And the first one that really caught our attention was the price of ASICs and where they were, right, uh, compared to historical prices. And the second one was the availability of hosting facilities, given the distress that the market was in, right? With a lot of people going bankrupt, there are a lot of facilities that were just, just available. Um, when we looked at that, and then at the same time, we started to have conversations with investors. And to our surprise, you know, people looked eye to eye in, in all with us with in all of these opportunities and said, yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is the right timing to, to go into mining. It's not when Bitcoin, you know, it's pumping and it's super high and everybody's jumping in it. It's exactly now. You can probably get a lot of landed inventory quickly. Uh, you can probably deploy this inventory fairly quickly, right? And um, and you're probably going to get into the having with a you know a, a fleet that it's newer and uh, more, and better than most and more efficient than most people have out there, right? So we jumped on that thesis, and that's how Swan Mining um, was born. Um, we for, we made the investment in that company, that small company, uh, and uh, and then we decided, okay, so what's next? And we decided to buy some ASICs. We bought a small lot first. Uh, Really, like honestly, the, the the idea when we bought the ASICs was to do something similar to what Adam Beck was is doing with his uh, basic nodes, which is buy them and store them. I right? thought so we're gonna buy these ASICs, let's store them, let's wait for prices to go up. What? Yeah, but then as soon as we bought them, we're like, no, the opportunity cost is massive on this. Let's deploy them, right? Uh, yeah. And when we looked at the, you know, we didn't think that there was gonna be as many hosting. Um, opportunities out there as we found, which was good. And these are all on-grid Rafa hosting arrangements across the United States primarily? Vast majority, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I'll give an overview of our mining um, operations uh, and what we have. Uh, but just to conclude, like we, we, and we started deploying, we deployed uh, in one facility, you know, small amount of hash rate, and then as soon as we started seeing the the, the Bitcoin slow in and see them coming to the wallets, right? I mean, then then it really got excited. Then then it was also easier to go back to other investors and say, listen, we already have an operation. We already have something hashing. Uh, you know, along the way, we built a very nice 
uh, dashboard with everything that we're doing. We give access to our investors see everything we do. Like they have real time access to you know, uh, like the the 586 hash rate that I'm seeing right now. They see it at the same thing, right? So that gave I think people a lot of confidence in investing with us. Um, they see the bitcoins coming to the wallets, right? They see the the pools that we're they see they see everything. Uh, and because of that, I think we raised even more capital and then, you know, one thing led to the other and then we got to, to where we are. But we'll stop here and then I'm you know, happy to go through how we are set up and uh, how where we are right now and where we are going because that's uh, it's, it's interesting as well. Yeah, that that's my question is like how – so just a quick recap, which was at first you saw an opportunity to just buy the asset, which was an ASIC, and then – trade that which is fucking noble of you guys because that's like a very tough uh thing to do then you're like wait a minute there's a lot of hosting opportunities uh in the united states so why don't we just plug these in and start mining off of them and so you started with one facility and you're like wait a minute this is awesome the drug of bitcoin mining just seeing wallets populate with sats is too addictive so let's just go yolo in like many of us and by the way, I, I completely agree. Transparency, especially as it relates to uh, the mining dashboards, so that your LPs or your investors can see that this is like actually happening. And and we'll get into the the technicals. But like, so can you walk me through the funding mechanism and then the hosting and identifying hosting partners and then the types of you know, energy sources that you're using, the types of, con- like, I have a million questions as it relates to contract structures with the hosting providers. Yep. Where are they? Yeah, I'm, I'd be curious to know exactly where some of these locations are and what states, hopefully some in Tennessee here. Um, and then I have a bunch of follow-on questions there. Soon. That's what I'm going to say. So we're soon going to be in Tennessee. Very soon. Okay, uh, cool. Probably next week. <laughs> Heck yeah. Uh, wow. But... Uh, but just going one step back, one thing I forgot to say is, I I don't need to say this, but I'm a numbers guy, right? So I'm very data oriented. So I built a lot of models to analyze a lot of different things. And it became very obvious that, you know, it, and uh, again, this should be obvious for anybody, but uh, deploying quickly was much better than waiting primarily ahead of the habit, sure, right? Sure. So, uh, so even if we got some, we got some facilities that we know, we knew they weren't excellent. We knew they weren't like state of the art, but said, screw it, doesn't matter, right? Even if these facilities run at 80%, deploying one month ahead of time and just having them running would be better than not deploying at all, right? Assuming again, that we can get out earlier and then eventually, you know, after the having, we can move these ASICs around, right? Before the the having was just super important to get hashing as as quickly as as we could, right? Uh, yeah, Rafa, you had prior to this, you'd never mined before, correct? Like even on your own. I did uh, on my own. Yeah, okay. I mined uh, back in the day, but the problem is again living in Brazil, uh, electricity costs for the consumer here are just ridiculous. And if you want to have industrial level, you know, that then you need to get in, in bed with the government. I have no interest in doing sure. that, right? But at least you had like, you were touching and feeling an ASIC and knew how it all uh, worked, which is cool. Yeah, man, I love to tinker with stuff. Like I've built, you know, several nodes. I, uh, uh, you know, my node, I contributed to the open source code. I mean, uh, you know, all yeah. of, I like, I always love this stuff. So I've mined as well. And, uh, but again, nothing scale. I wish I've, I've grown something at scale outside of Brazil, but uh, no, and I I know something like I set up a couple of S9s back in the day, right? So I know a little bit, yeah. but 
this is completely different, right? What we're building here now totally. is much more about uh, speed and scale, you know, efficient allocation. Yes. Yeah, but it's speed and scale, and that's why I want to ask you about this because, like, you mentioned the small operation that you got off going. Like, <laughs> small is probably like a hundred x greater than what Eco and I are running. But like, what's small relative to like what you were doing uh, at that time? So we started like the first facility we had. You know, it started like a hundred petahash. Okay. Uh, and cool. Then we, we grew from yeah. there. Yeah. So a hundred petahash. You're in this one facility right? Um, and you're seeing it work. And then how do you go and say, fuck it, YOLO? Do you have like a, a hosting broker that you're going through and saying, we we have capital, we have ASICs, go find us hosting agreements across the United States? Yep. So the other thing I'm going to say about Swan is it attracts a lot of people. And uh, like the brand is very, very strong. So, you know, as soon as we started going, we started, you know, ping one person, ping another person. And then we found some people that have been doing this for a while that are specialized in brokerage of machines mm -hmm. and, you know, getting the the hosting contracts, right? Uh, analyzing the hosting contracts. So there were a few people we brought right early in the games or, you know, became partners of us uh, that helped us tremendously through this. Like, it's not like I am a fraction of a fraction of everything sure. that we've built, right? This comes first from the the brand that we have, attracting the right people. And then, you know, I'm just coordinating and then finding the people that would, would have, find the sites, will make sure that, you know, that will tell me like, oh, I've done business with these guys. I know who they are, right? We can go and deploy with them or the opposite, like, you know, stay away. These yeah. guys are scammers and because there are a lot of scammers out there. That's the thing, Rafa, <laughs> is like the relationship aspect, which goes a long way. Uh, I, I guess now I'm curious, like, uh, from all these contracts re you've reviewed, are they typically fixed, like hosting rates, like electricity rates, cost per kilowatt rates? Are they variable? Like, what do you look for in some of these contracts to kind of, um, do, it seemed like you're just like, fuck it, yep. let's go hard and get as many uh, ASICs plugged in. But there's got to, you're a numbers guy, but so there's got to be some method to the madness. Um, and I'm just curious there to know. There is a lot, yeah what the blended like rate you guys are like looking. Um... So let me start just by telling you where we're going, because that's going to make you, I, I think it's going to make it better to understand what we're doing right now. Right. So I told you in the beginning that we started all of this with one investment in one company. It's outside of the U.S. They have very cheap power. Right. Um, but they are small. They're just growing. Right. The reality is long term we're going to be diversifying outside of the US in places mm -hmm. that have very much cheaper power than what we have right now, but we need to build infrastructure and that's not going to happen overnight, right? In the meantime, what we've done is we said, okay, let's buy the ASICs, let's deploy them. We want to be as efficient as possible and as quickly as possible in trying to get these machines out there ahead of the having. Uh, and a couple of things we had in mind, since we know that in the long term, we're going to be moving some of these ASICs from the US outside, most of our contracts are short term, right? So okay. we have contracts that are between, I would say the average life of our contract is probably now literally less than a year. Wow. Because uh, Yeah, because we started earlier. The other thing, again, th this was luck also, right? It's part vision, part luck, that when we started this, a lot of these hosts were uh, struggling, right? Because yeah, yeah. these guys had Celsius or whoever that went bankrupt, right? They have the facility, they're not hashing. They have the power available, right? So we come in and they would pretty much accept, you know, a lot of terms that they wouldn't 
uh, a year or two years ago, right? Or, or before. What are some examples there, Rafa, of some terms that they would not accept out of curiosity? That they would not accept? Yeah, I mean, like a year before? ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, it, it was hard in the beginning to get them to agree to shorter term. Eventually, they did. Uh, I think it was harder also to agree in, in revenue sharing agreements, which is something that, you know, we've done actively as well. You know, we've shown to them that it's better for them, it's better for us, it aligns the interests of everybody, right? Uh, being Bitcoiners, I mean, alignment of interests is like, it's it's on the forefront of a lot of things that we we try to do, right? And we want to make sure that, you know, if we do well, they're going to do well, but if they shut it down or decide to, you know, do something stupid, they're going to get penalized as much as we do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so these were like the, the the some of the pushback we got, but eventually we actually have partners that we started with fixed prices with them and they've moved to, to profit share agreements with us now, mm. right? Um, and I like, again, for the flip side is that we are foregoing a lot of Bitcoin, right? We are giving them some of the Bitcoin we mine. And, uh, but your OPEX goes to zero basically in those rev share. Exactly. Agreements. Yeah. And the, the energy cost goes down significantly because it's most of these con- contracts are passed through energy or, you know, we should yep. be entering into a PPA agreement with them. Right. And, uh, yeah, so it's uh, it it becomes much cheaper for us to to mine that way and economically, you know, again, much much better in the in the medium to, to long term. So I love the vision, and Eco, I got a million, and then we'll get into some of the questions. Uh, so yeah, keep firing away. You're doing great. Uh, the I love the vision of moving to cheaper energy sources. Like one thing, Eco and I now being in this for a little bit, Eco being a little longer than me, is you got to own the entire infrastructure, even procuring your own energy. Like if there is one out like attack vector, especially on that is the energy side. So it's really interesting to see that you guys are going to go to other places where it seems like you guys can build your own infrastructure. Now with the speed, how many hosting contracts do you guys have and how many states? Because the reason why I asked that it's like even I have, I don't know, three or four operations going on right now. And just to do the logistics of consolidating, moving, you have to have a lot of trust. There's a lot of wear and tear that can go on in the machines and so on. Like, it seems like you guys with six exahash, multiple, like to just to do that, it seems like a heavy lift. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have eight hosts right now that we're working with and you know Excellent. expanding like there are a couple more coming coming online soon um one of the key things i've built and this goes back i think to to the conversation we we're having in the beginning is i love to code so i coded our whole uh what we call bnoc which is our bitcoin network operating center top to bottom and we have like real-time analytics of all the all the sites, everything that is happening, it gives us you know very quickly you can see something's happening in one of the sites, right? We have alerts going to Telegram, we have different things set up. So again, uh, it you can't do this uh, by logging into you know the different pools yeah. or foreman or whatever, and just like that just doesn't work, doesn't scale, right? So that that enabled us, I think, to get a very good perspective and view of uh, of all the sites. When I look at a lot of people that got into mining, it's it's almost the opposite, right? I think people start from from the the, the trees perspective, so they start from the miners' perspective. Like, yeah, no, I need foreman because I need to take a look at you know how my how my machines are working and all, which is important. We have that as well. But when we built this, we started from the forest perspective. We started from the top. I said, okay, 
financially, if I go into a site, what is the break-even of that site? What is the unit economics of that site? How does it work? What happens if the site is at 80% of time? What happens at 90% of time, right? Uh, how can I optimize the machines to you know, gradually get to where I want? If I upgrade my machines there from an S19J Pro to a T21 or to S21, what happens, right? What are the costs? So our view, I think, on this is much different than what a lot of people have that have gone into mining uh, have you like we've hired people from other companies, you know, or other mining companies to work with us, and they tell us like it's exactly the, the this perspective. They're like, oh no, but what about you know, ASIC number one hundred and thirty-seven on row five, right? Yeah, we worry about that as well, right? But uh, it doesn't matter if uh, that whole site is just uh, you know a complete shit show. It's mm -hmm. warming up. It's all hot, right? There's no ventilation. Uh, so that that's where we're worried a little bit more. Making the contracts a little bit shorter gave, gives us also an advantage that, you know, it gets to a point that we have, as you can imagine, like from these hosts, we had very good hosts. We have amazing hosts that we're trying to get closer and closer to them and say, yeah, no, build, build us more capabilities, get us more space, right? Get us more power. Uh, and then we also had some that were terrible that, you know, we did uh, immersion with them. They got very bad pumps, you know, things didn't work, right? But then we can cut cut the plug very quickly and we usually start small and then grow, right? So if we make a mistake, it doesn't hurt us so much and we have always a way out of that uh, a long time. It's also giving us, I think, a lot of learning experience in terms of knowing the right people, knowing the right equipment, knowing what. So when we go, as you said, you're absolutely right. I think when you look long term, you need to control more, uh, you know, from the bottom up, from the energy side, energy generation, all the way to the Bitcoin coming out, right? Uh, but I think it would have been much harder if we decided, almost impossible. I think we would, <laughs> we probably go broke, right, and go out and try to totally. get the sites, get the, uh, you know, build the facilities, because these are projects that would take a long, long period of time. So even with those that we started now, we're starting small. You know, we're gonna get you know a megawatt here, megawatt there. See how it works with places that we know we can scale. So if it works on this place, okay, we can go from one to ten to twenty to fifty to hundred eventually, right? Um, so that's kind of like how we're thinking about it uh, in terms of uh, of expansion. So the first phase, if I simplify, like the first phase was quick go to market, deploy the machines. Don't worry so much about efficiency, right? Just get hashing. The second phase, which is where we are now, is now we're going to each of the sites, optimizing the sites, optimizing the machines, testing all different kinds of firmware out there, control board, seeing what we like more, what we don't like, what works better in one site, what works better in another, gradually getting to 100% and even more than 100% of hash rate utilization of each of these sites. And then the third phase is going to be, okay, now that we've learned all of this, that we've deployed, Let's go out and build our own infrastructure. Let's try to control it a little bit uh, better. Remember also that a lot of what we're doing, uh, you know, everything that we're doing is capital allocation at the end of the day, right? So it's very, for me, it's very basic. I look at the capital that the clients are putting in, right? And I see where do I optimize the return on equity that they're putting in. And uh, depending where it is, you know, that's that's how we're going to move. And, and again, going to building infrastructure on day one, it would definitely not have gone us, uh, get, gotten us the, the best ROI that we could out of this, right? Yeah, and so that was like an interesting thing about capital allocation because I think one of the confusing things, or at least from my standpoint, and I don't know the Swan business that well, but 
There's the Swan Exchange side or brokerage side, uh, which is the brand or company most people know. Then there's the institutional side where you guys raise money to then allocate that capital into strategic ventures, one of which just so happens to be this mining opportunity. And so you, Rafa, as a capital allocator or the CIO, saw that opportunity. You took that pool of money and deployed it into this and then followed on. Is that a I want to make sure yep. I'm accurate about it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that is right. So how cool is it to like write a like a billion dollar check into and just <laughs> yellow into a mining operation? Because <laughs> I, I just, yeah. from, from one billionaire capital allocator to another, <laughs> it just, you know, it's one of those things like eco, sorry, like, you know, it just... Sorry, it just it's different strokes for different folks, you know? Yeah, don't mind me and my dumpster trash chute <laughs> over here. <laughs> my friend over here is dumpster diving for uh, nice threads while uh, Rafa's eating his caviar and I'm just, uh, you know, smoking my cigar here and talking about uh, billion-dollar deployments. No, but seriously, in all seriousness, how much capital was deployed to get to the 6 exahash? Yeah, that's one thing I you know I'm I'm not gonna disclose yet. We will eventually. Like you know, if uh, Swan goes, we got we are gonna we got thirty more minutes on this podcast. We can go. I'll I'll tell you that uh, you know we're very happy with the the amount of uh, outputs we're getting for the capital that we put out. It's super light, right? Think about it. Like you 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 can make this calculation yourself, right? You can get to a ballpark. Up until now, the only thing we've deployed is we bought machines, right? And we put the deposits in for some of these sites. And there are, you know, we bought boards, we bought some infrastructure, we had to buy replacements for some of these things, right? But that's it. That's how we deploy this capital. So in terms, again, uh, bang for our buck, I would say that, you know, probably some of the best that we've, we've seen out there when, because the public miners, it's all public information yeah. that they have out there, right? Our numbers are, again, they, they should be significantly better, but we're asset light. Most of them are not, right? They are, so they have a very good asset base, which we don't have, right? I stop paying for the machines. I stop, you know, maintaining the machines. This goes away very, very quickly, right? <laughs> so this is, again, goes back to the same thing that we mentioned. Though Now we need to build the, the asset side and allocate, the, allocate for our investors on the asset side as well. When you're looking at your dashboard, and I love it because like having one scoreboard and just understanding the health of the, the business and especially your investment is so mission critical. What is that one number you're looking at? Obviously, total exahash, I get that, you know, uptime utilization and so on. But like you mentioned, you know, uh, utilization per deployment on hosting. I'm, I'm curious to know, is there like a payback number that you're calculating on the dashboard? And are you looking at that to make sure that hits like a specific window of time? And I'd be curious to know what that kind of time frame that you, from your perspective that makes it a home run. Yeah. Again, this is not uh, a rocket science. There's, it's basic math, right? But what we'll do is any new site we do, we'll model the hosting contract. We'll say, okay, so Let's model this hosting contract. Let's see how it pays out for us. And let's look at different scenarios. You know, difficulty going up significantly, difficulty in staying flat, difficulty, you know, uh, going down, we never model because that's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, and then let's see what happens before and after the halving, right? So if we see that that site is profitable for us, you know, even after the halving, even after, you know, stress testing the the uh, Bitcoin price a little bit down and difficulty up, right? Then that's probably a, good safe bet for us to, to make, right? 
And this also ties up with, you know, this is another reason why we we like to have, you know, profit share agreements, because at the end of the day, um, you know, we get lower costs. We have much higher probability of surviving in a scenario that, you know, Bitcoin price doesn't go anywhere. Remember, when we started this a year ago, nobody was talking about Bitcoin being at 50,000, right? Well, a lot of people talking about yeah. Bitcoin going down significantly from where it was. <laughs> and being Bitcoin for a while, you know, if there's one thing you can count on is that the price is going to surprise you one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we try to stress test that a lot when we're looking at, into the contracts. And after they're done, then they're done. Then it's optimizing and look, then we go into the granularity of, okay, let, now let's look at the miners. Let's look at the deployment. Let's make sure that the sites are having an uptime in the right way that we want, right? Um, let's make sure if we have a curtailment contract that we participate on that. Again, like then there are several different things that you need to look at to make sure that you are, um, you're optimizing, right? Yeah. So just blink twice if you spent over a billion dollars, just, you know, <laughs> uh, but, um, in all, so eight hosting contracts, uh, in the United States, one potentially or soon to be in Tennessee, uh, or mainly in Texas, like where are they, these, uh, hosting, um, sites we're everywhere. We're Texas, of course, everybody's in Texas, right? But we're everywhere. We have five States, uh, one, uh, one international. Yeah. That's uh, so a little bit of everything. The reason why I asked the state side, the state, and by the way, I'm curious to know we're internationally right now. Uh, I don't know if we've disclosed that yet. We will, but okay. I don't think we have disclosed it yet. Oh, and the, the other reason I was going to mention this, I forgot, like the whole reason, this is one question we get a lot. It's like, why didn't, why didn't Swan say anything about this before? And why did you guys announce when you did, right? So the reason we haven't said anything before is twofold. The first one, when I started buying the ASICs, right, we knew we were going to buy it. As soon as we knew that this was going to get scale, we knew that we were going to buy a lot of ASICs. And the last thing we wanted to, yeah, to, yeah, totally. to leak out is that we were buying you know, thousands and thousands of ASICs because then we wouldn't pay the prices that we, we've paid, right? And the same thing, uh, you know, on the second point on hosting agreements, like when we were discussing with the hosts out there, if they knew that we were coming, you know, if more and more hash rate behind us, it would probably be, in some senses, would be better, but in others, like, you know, it would probably be harder to, to, to make negotiations. So for a long time, you know, people didn't know that it was us until like we signed an NDA and then, then we would disclose, you know, then we signed with us. But mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, even in the industry, didn't know that it was one behind it. Uh, and the reason we disclose is because, you know, as I said, I think one of the best things about the brand is that we we know a lot of people uh, and people knowing out there, like, I'll, let me go back a little bit. Like in the middle of last year, as we were starting to do this, like I definitely needed to hire people to help me, right? So, so I needed to have more technical people. So how do we do that? Because we, I couldn't put, I didn't want to put something out there as one. So... I put a very, if you go back, the tweet is probably out there yet. I put a tweet out saying, yeah, you know, we're very interested in mining. We're looking to mine in more details. Uh, you know, we're doing some research in mining. If there's anybody out there that likes mining, please DM me. And like an avalanche of people DM me. Uh, and like the best hires we made were yeah, come, came from, from Twitter, <laughs> which is amazing, right? Um and so when we decided to disclose this was a lot in, with that in mind, like, you know, we are going to have more good people that are going to come to us uh, now that we've built, you know, to the scale that we we want. And we're still growing, but, you know, we got to, to a decent scale. 
now it's time to probably go out and make make sure people know we're here. And this is true both, I think, on the people side as well on the investor side. We have other investors coming to us and say, yeah, you know, we've seen that you guys are doing this. You know, we're looking to capital allocate. How do we do it? You know, what kind of returns we're looking to mining? So this is, was another reason. The other one, the third one is, you know, Corey has been very public about this. We, you know, Swan eventually wants to go public. We think it's super important to be the first Bitcoin-only company out there to, to prove that it has, you know, a very sustainable long-term business. Um, and eventually, if you go public, like everybody's going to know anyway. Um, it's funny because Corey uh, tweeted something. I think this was late last year about our institutional division, you know, making certain amount of uh, revenue. And I got super surprised that nobody guessed. I thought immediately, like when he posted, like, yeah, everybody's going to know we're mining, you know, that's it. And almost no one <laughs> guessed it was mining. <laughs> and people, you know, guessed that we were doing lending, that, uh, you know, some people said, oh, how much Bitcoin they had to sell to get to these numbers, which again, it's just, that's not how it would never get there. Uh, but the mining came, I think, to very, very few people. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, interesting. Well, one thing that just popped in my head, and we definitely got to get to these questions, uh, is on the brokerage side. How did you go uh, approach the buying of the ASICs? Uh, did you go hire a broker? Did you go to my friends Alex and Nick over at Kaboom Racks, and you're like, hey, man, got to place another order with you, 10 S19J Pros, another 10 S19J Pros, and then you kept on pounding the the 10, the 10 bid? Um, I'd be curious to know how, how you guys went about that. Yeah, it, it happened, I think, more naturally than you would think. Like we bought a few and then, you know, the guys saw that in the beginning, nobody knew who we are, right? Because we we didn't approach a swan and they're like, yeah, we're going to buy these ASICs. And like, no, you're not. These guys are never going to pay me, right? <laughs> That's how they fought. And then we bought a little batch and like we sent them the, 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 the Bitcoin or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, maybe these guys are real. And then they start seeing that we we're buying and then and then I think after you know the third or or fourth purchase then you know then they are the ones coming to us and say yeah you know this there's this landed inventory that just came in uh, there this opportunity you know for new machines these guys bought options they're not exercising they want to exercise so now we are at that point that we're working very closely I think with the brokers but that that naturally just built up. As I said, we also brought people that, you know, have been doing this for, for a long time and have very good relationships and have been mining for a while. So when they picked up the phone and called and said, yeah, you know, Kaboom Rex or whoever it is, we have this order for you guys. They took us seriously, right? And that it was easier. Damn. Alex and Nick's Christmas is going to be freaking awesome. <laughs> I bet it was actually awesome this past Christmas. Um Let's get to some questions, Eco. Um, Hang on, I got yeah. I got one question before we go to the next section. Um, so I've noticed when you're talking, Rafa, that you've got a lot of like risk diversification built in to your approach here. So you're you're doing small amounts of hash rate at a time at different sites. Uh, you're using several different sites. Uh, I'm wondering if there's like anything on like the mining pool side that you're doing to kind of diversify your hash rate too? Are you pointing all the miners at one pool or are you using several different pools and which, which mining pools are you using? Great question, man. Uh, I'll walk you through like our <laughs> journey through, through pools. Um, so when we started this, 
we picked, you know, when we were small, it didn't matter. So we picked, you know, one or two pools that we we knew somebody recommended to us. I mean, we weren't worried about how much we were paying. We just wanted to. And I, I honestly, in the beginning, thought this was a commodity, right? Like, it doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to get its hash rate hash rate and Bitcoin out. That's mm-hmm. it, right? Uh, less the, the pool fee. As the advantage of being very data-oriented is that I actually have a chart that shows me how much hash rate goes into a pool, right? How much the pool receives, how much it says that it actually receives, how much, you know, after a period of time, how many Bitcoins it actually paid, how many transaction fees it actually paid me. And then I compare that to, okay, so if I look at the period of one day, let's look at first that, you know, in the Bitcoin blockchain, how much was re- paid in transaction fees? Let's compare that. Let's also see how many the how many uh, the blocks that this pool found, uh, the transaction fees that they found, and now let's see how much I received at the other the other end, and let's see if they match. They never match, <laughs> never, never. Uh, some are higher, some are lower, but they never match, right? Uh, which drove me insane. Like you know, I. I'm looking at these numbers like there's something wrong in my code. You know, how can this be? You know, these guys found these blocks. Here's how much they had in transaction fees. How the hell am I getting more than that? You know, <laughs> because that was the case in some cases. You know, how are they paying me more? And in some cases, they're paying significantly less. So what I did is we we literally went out and started to test different, different pools, right? Uh, and to see the results. Like there was... One example of a pool that said, oh, no, we're doing uh, merge mining and, you know, we're going into the, all these other chains and trying to optimize. And, you know, I ask a simple question like, OK, so you're going to the other pools and how do you make the comparison to where to go? Right. You need to have an assumption of how much fees you're actually seeing the Bitcoin blockchain and how much you are going to be seeing in the Bitcoin blockchain in the next hour, two hours a day that you're making the select. And they didn't know how to answer that. And, you know, just look at me like. What the hell are you asking, right? I'm like, okay, that tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> because th- this wasn't a problem when transaction fees were a very small percentage of the block reward. Transaction fees are not only very, or have been higher than, than ever, but they have, they have been extremely volatile. And the volatility in transaction fees compared to the block reward just kills these business because these guys need to be making assumptions around, okay, so mm-hmm. if I'm going to be merge mining, I don't know, in Bitcoin Cash or however it is, they need to have, you know, some kind of assumption of how much the Bitcoin blockchain is going to be paying while they're doing that transition, right? And if they're off one way or the other, they're just going to be off completely in how much they're paying. So this is the extreme where when we look at the results uh, from these guys compared to, uh, you know, other pools, the results were significantly lower in periods of very high. They were higher in periods of low volatility of transaction fees, and they were lower in periods, significantly lower in periods of very high volatility of transaction fees. And we had, you know, the whole original debate when sometimes, you know, you're seeing like transaction fees, you know, being higher than the block reward and all of that. You know, these guys get crushed. Uh, one of the things. So we went through all of that. We found, you know, uh, some pools that we found were better than others. Like, okay, let's put most of the hash rate to these, right? Uh, and some of the big ones, they're, they're okay. You know, I don't think that they are bad. But then when Ocean came out, uh, one of the things I liked about their model, uh, you know, put aside the whole discussion of filtering. We can talk about that if you want, but put that aside for a second. Uh, the fact that it's 100% transparent you know, for me, it has a lot of value. So the fact that I know, you know, I see the block that they found, 
I know exactly the hash rate that was there. I know exactly how that block was constructed. I know exactly how many shares I have. And I know exactly, I see the coins coming from the Coinbase directly to our wallet, right? That has value. Is it worth 3%, 5%, 20%, 30%? I don't know. I don't, but uh, it, it transparency has value, right? And I'll tell you one thing, which is in line with what I mentioned about, like, we are 100% transparent with everything of our investors, as I told you. Um, and, I, you know, I tell Corey this a lot, like there is a little bit of a paradox with transparency because, you know, transparency is very hard to do in the short term uh, because it leads to, you know, an exponential amount of questions regarding everything, right? Uh, mm -hmm. In the long term, it builds trust and it leads to less questions, but you have to cross that bridge and it takes time, right? And when I saw what Ocean was going through in the beginning, I, I told him, guys, you're going for exactly the same thing we did, which is, you know, you're, you're paying a price for being fully transparent. You are going to continue to pay that price in the short term. In the long term, that pays off because I think, you know, people are going to see for better or for worse, they know what you're doing, right? They may not like it or not, but they know what you're doing. I have no idea how, you know, uh, Foundry, F2, how they're constructing their blocks. I have no idea, right? I mean, I can look in the blockchain, I can, have, I can take a look, right? See what, but I don't know if I'm getting paid from that block or another block, if they're getting money from outside to pay me, you know, and there's a huge disconnect between that. I think when people look at pools, they only look at, you know, at the block construction of the pool, but they don't see that there's how much hash rate you're putting in and how many Bitcoins you're getting at the end, you know, there's a gap there in the between that you don't know exactly how it's answered, right? And uh, um, so that's a very long way to answer how we look and how we go to where we are. Well, so so you guys are all six exahash are pointed to ocean mining then? No, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by definition, you know that's not true because they are at, uh, I think, one and a quarter uh, right now. But we definitely have hash rate pointed to them. Uh, and I and I, I think one of the biggest advantages of what they're doing, as I said, is in the middle term, they're actually going to give the block construction to the miners, right? So we are going to be constructing the blocks. If we want to filter, we filter. If we don't want to filter, we don't filter. But I definitely 100% want to learn and want to be early uh, into that that space, you know, of being a miner that will build our own block space, because I truly think long term there's a market to be built here. Like I think, you know, whoever it is, big institutions are going to be paying a price to get ahead of the queue, and uh, you know, they may pay for the fast pass with us, where they pay us a I don't know a certain fixed fee uh, a month or a year, and then we just make sure that you know whenever we find a block, we put them in front of the block for a fixed fee. There is going to be a market for this. I think super early, but eventually that market is going to develop. And being technology for a long time, if there's one thing that I learned is that optionality has a lot of value because these things usually develop in ways that you're not even thinking mm -hmm. about. Like you know there are going to be markets around Bitcoin that we can't even think about right now into mining, right? Hash rate futures, like all of this is going to come. It's super early. I know people have been experimenting with this. Luxor has been doing some stuff, you know, but this is, we're like in the beginning of the, the, the derivatives market in Wall Street, like in the 70s, when you had just a couple of people doing this, people really didn't know how to price it, right? And then the 2000s came in and it's like, it became the biggest market in the, in the world, right? Uh, just that capability of being able to, I think, design our own block spaces. And, you know, the other thing also is that 
I think miners at the end of the day should should have this power, right? This power shouldn't go to, to the pools, right? It should be up to me. If I receive, uh, I don't know, we mined a block where somebody accidentally put in 100 Bitcoin into it as a fee, I should be the one making the decision, you know, if my miner found the block, right? I should be the one making the decision if I want to give that back or not. Right now, it's the it's a pool making that decision. And that should scare people a lot because if the pool has that, uh, you know, that power, they have other powers as well, you know, to, to do other things with your with your hash rate and your your rewards. Are you obligated to your investors to point the hash rate at the most profitable pool? Is there like anything in the language of the business that kind of dictates it? It's nothing in the language, but that's my fiduciary. That that would be my fiduciary duty as a, uh, a CIO, as a, as an investor, right? That you know, at the end of the day, everything we do is trying to optimize uh, the return on investment. And I would argue that you know, pointing to something like Ocean, it is optimizing for ROI because first of all, you know, just by the the matter of diversification and helping the Bitcoin ecosystem. At the end of the day, we're all Bitcoiners. We all want to see Bitcoin price go up and we all want to see adoption go up, right? That's definitely beneficial for that. So if you look at the big picture, right, for our investors, that's definitely contributing to that. But even that, like if I'm looking right now, and remember, this is short term because medium term, Ocean is going to give the block creation back to the miners. But even in the short term, let's say, for example, if you look on the average block that they found compared to the transaction fees that they're giving away, right? There's like between one and two percent of the rewards that I'm leaving on the table, and I think that's a super cheap price. To, even if that was the case, right? Long that's a super cheap price to pay to be able to be early on this, you know, have the optionality, learn, get closer to them, develop with them together, right? Which again, um, it's, these all this is all going to happen. And uh, as I said, in the middle term, we're going to decide if we want to filter or not, or how we want to optimize the block space. So I have no doubt that what we're doing is optimizing um, for shareholder value, you know, significantly in the in the middle to long term. Mm. There are a lot of people out there, some big big miners, public miners, they are pointing their hash rate to some pools that are I know for a fact that are screwing them right now because we ran the numbers, right? Name names. Let's go. <laughs> Name names. <laughs> hey, hey, the the information is out there for anybody to run, man. <laughs> I'm lazy. Rafa, I'm lazy. Man. <laughs> Just give me the uh give me the yeah. chat GBT Rafa version. Don't don't trust, verify man, run the numbers. <laughs> um Eco, should we get to some of these questions? Yeah, no, those are great insights. Thank you. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, let's jump into it. You want to start us off? Yeah, I want to go to the bottom one because uh, this was interesting. From Jarkutu, Jarkutu, is there actually a connection between Tether and Swan Mining or are people reaching? Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of questions around our investors, who they are, right? Uh, so let me tell you one thing, like, when I look at Bitcoin mining, right, for me, it's it's actually super simple, right? This is, a, I think about Bitcoin mining as being, it's a conversion of fiat money into Bitcoin. It's just a different way to convert than just buying Bitcoin, right? But at the end of the day, it's the same thing. You put fiat capital in and we're going to get Bitcoin at the, at the other side, right? So think about the structure of mining and what it entails, right? And the things that we control, right? So... The first one, which I'm going to leave since we start with fiat capital, is the capital and the cost of capital and the structure of your capital that you 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 build, right? Coming from Wall Street, of course, I'm biased, but I think that's the most important piece, and I'll tell I'll tell you why. 
But the second one is energy. So you need to get cheap energy, right? You control a little bit of that, but you don't control a lot. Like you could find good sites, you could find good energy availability, but energy prices could go up and down in in the long term, right? Unless you're completely self-sufficient, which again, could go. So you, you actually control a little bit of that. On the ASIC side, which again, you're, I'm going all the way from the fiat all the way to get the Bitcoin at the end, right? So go to the ASIC, you're deploying energy into the ASIC. On the ASIC side, you can control efficiency, you can control the machines you buy, the efficiency of your fleet, you can control uptime of your fleet, right? These are all things that are within our reach. You know, some of them may not play the way that we want because something breaks, but they're entirely under uh, our control, right? At the end, you have Bitcoin price that we have absolutely no control over, and you have network hash rate that you have absolutely no control over, right? So there are a lot of things in this chain that you have no control, limited control. The ones that you control are very, very limited, right? And you need to be very tight on how you control them. Capital, in my view, it's the most important piece in all of that. And it's not only, you know, the, the cost of capital, which is the first thing that comes to mind to people, but it's how you structure this, right? Are you bringing investors in that are aligned with you, that are going to be here for the long term, that are actually Bitcoiners and want to see Bitcoin price going up, right? So the key differentiator in all of this, again, it's availability. And we wouldn't have done any of this if it wasn't for that, right? I think we structure everything in a way that aligns the interests of our investors with us. But this is a very long way to tell you, like, capital is the It's a the very long way, of- Rafa. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I asked Tether but, and Swan Mining, and we yeah, went. So, we get that question all the time. Let me man. read like between the lines. Is. Let me read between the lines and read, come, come back to you. You want to align interests with your investors, which makes sense. Like, are they mission yep. aligned with you? Do they have the, like, the same mission and so on? Uh, you talked about necessary to have a lot of gunpowder, i.e. capital. In this situation, it's fiat or aka Tether. Uh, and I'm not assuming, I'm just like talking it out loud. And then, so they're mission aligned. They have a shit ton of fiat and they want it deployed in ways to er- make more Bitcoin. So it's like win, win, win right there. So, and they're an investor. So, I mean, or, or would be an ideal investor. So I don't know why that, that would, people would be up in arms about that. I mean, I would love them. Hey, throw me some of those tether bucks. Um, we can deploy that too. Yeah, but the, you know that the capital providing is the it's it's the formula of the Coca, the Coca Cola, right? You don't want to give that away. You don't want to tell people how. And, and it's not only who the capital providers, which again, it's important, but it's how you're structuring it with them, right? What kind Got of it. vehicle you have in place, and uh, and these are things that you know. Uh, eventually, when we go public, okay, you know, a lot of that is of course going to come come out, and people are going to see how we're doing it. I think it's the it's probably the one of the key differentiators of what we've done. I've built this in a way that I'm pretty sure that, you know, we go through the halving, we go through, you know, I don't know, severe price decline in Bitcoin, yep. and everybody's going to stay there. Nobody's going to jump ship, right? And we're going to be able to recoup the capital, you know. In It's going to take longer, of course, but we're going to be able to recoup the capital at some time. Look at all the companies that went bankrupt, right? And most of them, had very good teams, very efficient crews, you know, very good deployment, 
most of them got screwed on their capital structure. It was either, either they were too leveraged or they had too high of a cost of capital, right? This is what kills this business. It's not uh, bad operations and downtime. I mean, this is, of course, it's bad, but this is not what kills people. What kills people is like, it, the capital structure at the end of the day. Yeah. So hypothetically, if you were advising two guys, maybe one was named Rod and one was named Econo Alchemist, just hypothetically, what would like an ideal capital structure for uh, if you were the capital provider like kind of look like? I think, you know, um, for guys like you to start, and I don't know how much you, you want, but go, you should yeah, have your size is my capital. size. Like, you know, we're, <laughs> we're in the exahash game, uh, you know, there you go. I, you know, think about something that, you know, it's more equity like than that's like that you bring in a partner that, uh, it's going to just like, as I said, with the hosting agreements, it's the way we think, like, you know, if this works out, our investors are going to be extremely happy, extremely happy. Right. An investor buying, I'm going to make an example, it's probably a bad example, but, you know, an investor buying that from Marathon, for example, I mean, they're going to get the coupon, right? Bitcoin goes up, goes down, doesn't matter. It's that, right? So that yeah. structure. This is not the kind of investors right now that we want. We want people that, you know, again, will come in and will uh, and will put pressure on us as well. Like, see, you know, oh, you guys, you know, should be deploying faster. You guys should be you know, shouldn't be going to this place, should be going to that place. Like the, we, we want partners more than anything else. So I, I would try to find people like that, right? These yeah. are guys that will stick with you through, you know, Thick I can guarantee you, we're going to have tough times ahead. Guarantee you. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, we're going to maybe have very good time, you know, for the next year, to, you know, after having all of it. But the, uh, at some point, this is the nature of Bitcoin, man. It it comes back <laughs> from whatever you don't expect. It's going to be something new, you know, that we're not even thinking about right now. And uh, you just got to be prepared for that. No, 100%. I think that's, I think structuring it with uh, investors that, you know, you can shake hands with, do business with, and they understand that the roller coaster ride that they've already been on the roller coaster ride. So they're, they're used to the volatility and the vol and all that, all that jazz rather than, you know, hey, I have my brokerage account. Just go buy that marathon debt and call it a day uh, and optimize your 60-40 portfolio. Um, Eco, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I'll just, I'll keep reading up from the bottom of the list. Uh, this one comes from Status Quo on Twitter. And he asks, did the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund play a role in getting this up and running? What is the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund? I'm not 100% sure, but he included their tagline on okay. Twitter. Yeah, we're close to them. Like, uh, Quarry was part of Bitcoin Opportunity Fund. Um, you know, he's a board member there. And we've been very close to, to the whole team there. Um, you know, James Lavish, Dave Foley. I mean, we're close to them. Like, we do things together. We've looked at opportunities together. Um, so they're good partners. Just for listeners who don't know, and for myself, I don't know, can you briefly describe what the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund is and what it does? I'm probably going to do a poor job about this, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Like they're fund, like the investment fund that's looking to invest capital into different uh, venture and private equity ideas in Bitcoin. So they'll invest in, you know, small mining companies, they invest in software companies, they invest in, um, you know, other things out there. Uh, but companies mostly, right? I mean, I think they invest in Bitcoin also part of their balance sheet. 
uh, Larry Lepard is there. The team is amazing. Like Mark Moss, Greg Foss, you know, they're all very mm. good guys, very experienced. I've been doing this for a long time, uh, but it's an investment fund, right? They, they've been very close to Swan from the beginning. We really like them. They're in all of our events. Like, so we do a bunch of things together. Interesting. Okay. But the question of whether they're investors, I will answer the same way as with the tether one. <laughs> so they are. Got it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I had I we lived in New York for some time, and I was, but I was in tech. But I had a lot of finance friends. They they would talk. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> They're not friends anymore. Uh, they would talk in sticks and yards. You know what that means? Sticks and yards. I heard it before, but I it's like a know. stick is a million and a yard man. is. I can, a, I can barely speak English. So no, I you're great. <laughs> a stick, I think, is a million bucks, and a yard is a billion, <laughs> yeah, or the reverse. And uh, so just, okay, look, uh, Tether was in for a yard. Uh, this B Bitcoin opportunity fund was in for a stick, a, a couple sticks. Okay, <laughs> we got it, you know, amongst friends. All right, from the next one, from Reed Prefers Noster, what will be their differentiator to survive post-having? Alternative revenue streams, demand response, latest gen uh, ASICs, very low power costs. I mean, you alluded to this already, uh, you know, in terms of going overseas with, and building out your own infrastructure. But I don't know if you wanted to add anything else, Rafa. Yeah, I mean, we went through most of this, though. One thing I'll add, Craig and I mentioned as well, is like, we are very lucky to have been built this business in the last year, which naturally led us to have, you know, a very new and efficient fleet. So we are going to be upgrading after having, you know, there are some sites that we know that after having are not going to be very profitable for us. But long term, you know, it's a combination of, yes, low energy, more efficient machines, right? Everything that everybody knows and, you know, hoping that price goes up and difficulty doesn't keep exploding up like it has been. Which machines out of curiosity do you love? Like when you look at your dashboard, you're like, ah, oh, you beautiful thing, you S19J Pro, 100 terahash, 29.5 joules per terahash. It's like you're you're my sweetheart. Which 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 machine is your sweetheart in your fleet? I think the S19Ks are the best bang for your buck right now. Like S19K efficient. They survive, you know, even after the having in most uh, uh, in, in most energy prices that you you have we have out there, and they're not very expensive in a dollar per terahash base. They're I think they're the best bang for your buck right now. Mm. That's cool. That being said, we've been looking, we, you know, I'm waiting anxiously to get some T21s to see them hashing and see, you know, what we're going to get out of those because the, the initial results we saw were really, really good. So, oh, interesting. Uh, this one comes from Decent Money. And I think you sorted it out on Twitter with him, but he was asking if you knew your website was down. <laughs> it was down. He's, you know, and try to figure out what happened. Like uh, we had, a, I think the DNS is pointing to the right uh, address without the, the www, but the one with, it just was failing. So I'm fixing that. <laughs> oh, there there was an actual technical issue on the back end? There was, yeah. Oh, yeah okay. So, All right. Yeah. Good deal. Pod256 again saves the day. What do you know? <laughs> um, By the way, that's, we didn't even talk about that. Like, uh, that's another thing I've built, the Nakamoto portfolio. Uh, so the site is nakamotoportfolio.com. And talking about asset allocation, like that was the first big project I did at Swan. It's, uh, 
it's it's a hundred percent free. It's a, it's a open source, so most of the code is actually available out there for people to use and replicate if they want to. Uh, but the one thing that people use it the most is to do portfolio analytics. So we have like financial advisors that would hop in, put their portfolio there, and say, okay, so what happens to my portfolio if I add the one percent, the five percent, the ten percent Bitcoin allocation to it? Um, and that that's again, that's a completely different thing from from the mining side, but it's also on the still on the capital allocation side mm. of the of things. Very cool. We'll include that in the show notes. Um, the next one, actually, you mentioned five states, and the reason why I asked about so Texas, Tennessee. Uh, this question is from Adam Anderson. How do you think about jurisdiction risk and geography diversification? Which energy sources from the majority of your electricity inputs? Which energy sources from the majority of your electricity inputs? I don't know if that's a question, but uh, any aspirations to shift or optimize these allocations or sources going forward? Um, I am curious because you know there's no way in heck I would go and mine in a blue state right now, um, just because I don't think it's as friendly. Um, you you know as much as you need to know your thy neighbor know the jurisdiction and know the community that you're, you know, building your operation in, I think is mission critical, um, just to make sure they're on board because you get one person that's, if Elon's pay package got negged, uh, by a guy that owned nine shares and rescinded in a Delaware court, your mining operation, I don't care how many gigawatts you have, could be interrupted by one crazy Karen that's coming after you. So, I say all that. It, I'd be curious to know, like, how you guys look at that, similar to Adam's question. Yeah, I think as Eco said, like, we are at the core of everything I've done is to to manage risk and to try to mitigate risk as much as I can, right? And there are some things that you just can't, but this is one we can. So we've been trying. You know, if there's one thing you can't predict, it's policy because it takes, you know, one crazy politician somewhere to, you know, push something forward and, they, you know, things could derail very, very quickly. Um, so we've been trying to go, I think, to, to the states that we know that there is some stability long-term. Definitely 100% for, you know, at least in the U.S., for the ones that we're looking to deploy longer term to build our own infrastructure, they need to be friendly to mining. Um, you know, otherwise we wouldn't be there. But these things can change also, right? Like, you know, unfortunately, yeah. no, uh, they, they, five years down the road, I don't know what's going to happen, right? You know, uh, I've seen some some states that I thought would never go the way that they did going <laughs> very bad ways and they may tr- change. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to California now. California is going to lose a lot of revenue for everything, you know. Uh, maybe they turn around, right? That's the beauty, I think, of the... The way the U.S. is set up, the you know the states compete with each other, and it. eventually money talks. My <laughs> competition uh, is such these, a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. They're they're gonna have to come around, right? Uh, so that you know that gives me when I think about the U.S. in general, that gives me a lot of comfort on being there. Because let's say, for example, not gonna happen. Let's say, for example, you know we have a facility in California. We don't. Let's assume we have a facility in California. They decide to shut us down. You know, I got a bunch of trucks there, get our ASICs down, and you know, it's not, it's gonna suck because I'm not gonna be hashing for a while. But eventually, I'm gonna move somewhere else, right? I'm gonna go to another yeah. state, cross a border, and that's it. Start hashing somewhere else. But you see, you, you said that a few times, and I agree with you. But I do still think it's obviously not as e-liquid or 
not movable, like similar to moving houses. Like you could sell your house. It'll just take some time. But I do think there's some costliness associated with moving operations and especially at like a number of times, the wear and tear on the machines, the the cost associated with it, the downtime, then the restacking, just from my own experience, like it's just a pain in the ass. So you want to like limit that exposure as much as possible with 100%. that. Yeah, hundred percent. So like, but I, I do think that the regime changes, I hope are like once or twice in a lifetime versus like every few years, your head's on a swivel saying, oh, really? You guys just changed the contracts on me again. And this isn't like, you know, I thought this is the United States of America. Yeah. It probably doesn't help that the election cycles coincide with the havings either. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Or it does. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, this one comes from Rebel Mining in Texas, and he starts with a comment, and then he asks a question, and I, I think you've touched on a lot of points in his question, but if you've got anything to add, uh, his comment is about 120 megawatts or so is my guess. I think he's talking about the mining capacity that Swan has deployed. Uh, not impossible if you find a good opportunity. Been working since summer. Uh, announced January, seven months is impressive, but doable. All right, so we got that. Um, he's interested to know what the machines, efficiency, single, multiple locations, curtailment, state, and a bunch more. Yeah. And I think you've you've kind of covered most of that. Which eight yep. hosting, and by the way, you can move fast if you have the rack space. If the rack space is available, buy machines, yep. send them. And by the way, machines, if you're going through a, a brokerage and the machines are already in the States and let's say a warehouse in Phoenix, it's now then it's just a, a, a shipping game, right? right? To get them moved in. And then you have teams like Guardrail or whoever that you can hire to go and rack and stack, plug them in, and you're off and running. Yep. The the harder thing that takes time that I think a lot of people may have misconstrued and Rafa, you can keep me on it was they thought maybe you built infrastructure from the ground up like a riot or somebody else. Yeah, we did like, not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, again, we wouldn't be hashing like it would take way, way, way too long. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, from our friend XFrog, love you, buddy. Uh, how much of that 4.5? Hey, XFrog, wrong, buddy. It's 6x a hash. Get your numbers right. Uh, is new to the network, and how much was pre-existing and just had Swan stickers slapped on them? Actually, that's a really good question because you mentioned that you guys took over, you had some opportunistic opportunities at the hosting facilities. Typically, when a, uh, a provider can't pay they still have the machines running at the site and they don't really technically or for the most part have that extra capacity. Mm -hmm. Did you guys buy machines that were already at the facility or and or were you guys buying net new machines? Yeah. So very few, very, very few of the machines that we bought were already hashing. Mm. Um, so which doesn't mean that this is 100% new hash rate to, to, to the network. Because a lot of the machines that we bought were refurbished, you know, machines that were, uh, I don't know, liquidated in some of the bankruptcies and things like that, right? And that's why we got them. They came with warranties and everything else and they were refurbished, but they, they were hashing somewhere. They had a previous life that we don't know what it is, right? Um, uh, how much of that? 
hard to estimate, but vast majority of what we brought online was not online at the, the time that we brought it in. Very cool. I lo love this last question, by the way, Eco, I'll let you do it from our friend, Rob. And I'm wishing Rob's wife a very healthy recovery, by the way. What happened to his wife? He just uh, tweeted out just asking for some prayers. She went into for some surgery, and then she came out, and everything was fine. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I hope she's all right. Yeah. Um, from Rob W. Rob asks, can they disaggregate the total exahash into hosting slash operating and other business arrangements? And he also adds, big exahash hosted on one or many sites is very different from self-mining on one or multiple sites. Also, out of all that exahash, how much do they keep? Um, so I guess the answer, again, is you guys are 100% hosting. You're not doing any self. Uh, it's all hosted mining. There's no Correct. self infrastructure. For now, yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually, one question I have from here is you mentioned the dashboard. Do you, how does the distribution work? So um, you have the mining, different mining pools, um, and then you go, it goes into probably like a master swan account. Are you paying out your LPs every day or are you doing distributions on a monthly, quarterly basis? I'd just be curious to know how you guys structure that. Yeah. So this is like, like a, a senior junior structure. So what happens is we pay them first. So the capital that is coming in goes first to repay them for whatever investment they made. And then we have a split after that. Very cool. So uh, left side of the bell curve uh, answer back to you would be, all right, I invested, let's say two bill and I get my two bill back first. And then after any dollar after the two billion, uh, we split on some agreement. But, but are they getting it? Like, are you guys holding on to the Bitcoin and then getting that? Is it based in Bitcoin or is it based in dollars? Based in dollars. Yeah. Okay. You see, that's the good hustle there, Rafa. Good job, buddy. You base it in dollars such that you, and then do you hold the Bitcoin for a period of time? So you're taking that like uh, uh, upswing? Like, are you paying Maybe. out daily? <laughs> Maybe. Mm. Blink twice again, buddy. Um, no, that that is a, that, I think there's going to be more creativity, especially as these deals come up. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities um, as it relates to, in mining, I mean, heck, me and Eco are betting a lot and putting a time capital reputation. I think on a lot of these investments, I think there's going to be opportunities if you have a lot of capital to make big moves and get good percentages back. I think at the pleb level, there's going to be insane opportunities to go within your local area and create uh, mining-related products for the home. I think there's going to be businesses built on servicing. Heck, if I was a somebody as uh, entrepreneurial, I'd be in your DMs right now and be like, "Dude, put me on one of your sites, on one of your new sites, and I'll earn your business in terms of servicing your machines and whatever." Like, there's not enough technicians out Bitcoin mining technicians out there to service machines. Like, if you want to go get paid good money, really good money, go do that. So anyways, that was my rant because I'm so fucking bullish on what's to come. Uh, and I kind of love ninja launches like this that are actually true and not uh, knock on wood fluff. So I really appreciate this, that you kind of came on and, and jammed with us. Oh, love being here. As I said, you know, I learned a lot from from you guys for listening to the pods. Uh, 
that try to listen to as and read as much as I could on mine <laughs> from and there are many good podcasts out there right so on specifically on mining so really like what you guys are doing keep up keep up the good work thank you and Rod just proof of that like you yeah. know I actually reached out to you guys because I listened to an episode where <laughs> you guys mentioned something yeah you know uh, th there's this Hoffa guy that launched and I was listening to it. I remember I was running and I was like, oh, I, and I stopped and I sent you guys a tweet like, yeah, absolutely. I'll come into the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, it was, it was tough because we were so skeptical, but then we were always, or at least I was catching myself. I'm like, well, I don't want to say that because I don't know that that was the answer. But, but I, I love it. Bitcoiners yeah. are always skeptical. You know, I'm the same way. We always, you know, that's that's our reaction. We always think like that. This doesn't exist. You know, it's impossible. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a good thing. It's healthy, healthy for for the network. And this is a good segue into the home miner of the week. Ego, you want to just t touch on the home miner of the week? All right. Thank you, Rod. The home miner of the week is Molon Lab VC. <laughs> I might have butchered that name, but that's all right. They posted a video of a bit axe in an immersion tank that they built. I love this. And it seems like they 3D printed some of the components and they've got the pump mounted there and the immersion fluid and the bit axe just hashing away. So I just thought it was a very uh, clean setup and it's cool to see the bit axe in action. And um, if you couldn't tell by our hashers, we've got tons of bit axe users. They're who awesome. are pointing hash rate towards the podcast for support. So thank you. And um, I just like to see the innovation and creativity. So we'll drop a little bit of alpha since if people are listening all the way to the end of this, but I actually am curious to know, Rob. So do you think it's a, 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 is there any fear you have with some of this centralization around hash? You guys quickly went up to like one and a half, or sorry, one and a half percent right now of the total network right? Uh, especially with these mining pools and such. Um, do you think there's a need to get, you know, a million people mining or more? Or do you think that's just overblown and people should need to chill out and just say, you know, like mining is a, just a commercialized game and it's it, what what's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah, uh, definitely something that, you know, takes some of, of my sleep away because uh, looking at the network, right? Not as a miner, it's super important that, that we have diversification at the end of the day. And quite honestly, it's one of the reasons why we jumped into this, right? Because we we want to be part of that diversification. And in terms of diversification, it's not, you know, just geographic, but it's uh, in terms of size. And if, I don't know what's going to happen, like in the future. Now that we're looking, I'm looking more, ideally, if I could pick a future, I'd say, yeah, what I want is, you know, a miner at every home and, you know, everybody's mining and, you know, I have my boiler at home that, you know, it's a miner and my stove maybe works as a miner as well. And they're all hashing. And I think eventually we're going to get there. I think it's going to be a race between that and uh, some of the industrial, like, I can tell, like, the stuff that I'm seeing, the, like, in the industrial scale mining, that it's uh, going to be coming online soon. It's... It's mind blowing, like you know, because right now you know you have these boxes, the shoe boxes, right? And people are just gonna take you know the boards, the hash boards, the control boards, outside of them, and put everything in immersion, right? Is that one year, five years, ten years away? I don't know, but the the technology is out there, and I think eventually we're gonna have there. Uh, Probably in the long, long term, we're going to have a little bit of both, right? We're going to have, I think, a lot of people hashing at home, and it's going to be economical at the end of the day because, you know, if you're using the heat anyway and you need to heat your home, 
you know, it doesn't matter that much. You're better off using an efficient miner to do that where you get paid, whatever it is, right? Uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know where this is heading, but it's super important to try to, to find projects that uh, would diversify hash rate as, as well, right? This is why we like what Block is doing, for example, where they are looking at, you know, smaller scale miners that could be deployed out there. I think this is, again, it, it's super, super important. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. And that's where Eco and I with the 256 Foundation, like we want to put a lot of our reputation and time into um, helping bring that to be a reality. Like I think it was John Stephanopoulos as well as Scott thinking if we could just set a goal, 1 million home miners and getting that going, um, I think could lead to a lot of innovation and decentralization and de-risking uh, on a number of fronts, because I think the commercial opportunity is so vast that the big players now, including you guys are going to seize the opportunity and, you know, and by the way, quick tangent, if Paolo, I don't know Paolo at uh, Bitfinex Tether, but if he could just break off a, a stick or a yard, I mean, heck, I'm not greedy. We're not greedy. Just a stick towards the 256 Foundation to help accelerate this uh, this vision, you know, our, our, our DMs are open. But uh, jo half joking, half serious, um, I do think uh, it's a, incumbent on the bigger folks as well, including like folks like us that talk about this all the time to kind of work towards that reality. That's for sure. Yep. Think about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, is it's, it's the same discussion we have with ETFs, right? If you think about it, because Bitcoin is supposed to be an individual revolution. People should have self-custody. They should buy their own Bitcoin, have it in their hardware wallets, right? And be decentralized. And at the same time, we know that there is this huge pipeline of assets coming through the ETFs, right? So what we want to make sure is not to block that. These the, the same thing is with the industrial miners, right? The industrial miners are the ETFs. Uh, but we want to make sure that you have access to the plebs that go out and, you know, buy their sets and put it on their hardware wallet and just, you know, have a way out. And even if people buy the ETFs, right? You know, they should have a way to get out of the ETF and send it to a hardware wallet eventually, right? Totally. It's the same way. As long as, you know, you you keep a, a viable way out and a way to diversify, this is what we want. We want this to start with the individual and then, you know, go the way up, which has been this way with mining, right? It has started with people mining in their own backyards and now it's moving to the ETF side of things. It's more professional. It's more industrial. Yeah. Eco, any final thoughts, my man? Rafa, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your insights with us and 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 setting me straight on Swan's mining endeavors. Uh, I was definitely skeptical when I first saw the announcement. And um, it's a good I, thing, man. <laughs> I will say, like, I, 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 you know, the mining contracts end in twelve months, so like they they should be coming up what in July then? If you launched in June, July? they vary, right? They vary. We have several because we didn't deploy it all at once, and some contracts are twelve, others are fifteen, or eighteen, right? Got so it, it varies. Yeah. All right. Well, we make a note, Tom. We'll invite. We'd love to have you back on. Let's say in November or maybe December, end of year, and say, "Okay, we crushed it. You made up a new term. There was sticks, yards, and you're going to make rafas, which is like a hundred <laughs> billion or something." And uh, and then be like, "Yeah, we killed it." Or it's like, "Whoa, 
We may have been a little over our skis with the short-term contracts and our ability to move miners here around. Uh, I'd love to hear like how it turned out and I wish you guys nothing but the best. A bull market scares the hell out of me. It's going to be much harder for us to find, you know, <laughs> availability. That's for sure. So <laughs> we'll see. Got it. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Very good being here.